Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. You know, one time Jesus was talking to a teacher, a religious leader, and the religious leader is captivated by what Jesus has been saying, and even though a lot of times the religious leaders would be at odds with Jesus, this one says, which one's the most of the, the, the important of the commandments? And Jesus gives them the, the, the common ones. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart and all that. And love your neighbors as yourself. And they go on and have a discourse. And they have a conversation. And it's a little, it's a little strange. Pastor Andy talked about it last week, how it goes down. But the end result is that Jesus sees his heart, sees where he's at, and says, you know what, man? You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far and I think the thing that Jesus was trying to say to them, to him, and to those of us who are here today and those of us who are worshiping online and who may see this as a, a podcast later on, um, is that no matter who you are and where you come from, what your, bag, your baggage might be, your background is, whatever your hurts, habits, and hangups are, that no one is far from God. Because God came near, God came here in the person of Jesus Christ so that all of us might have a chance to know him. So, so we're in this series called You're Not Far. And by the way, my name is Danny Rivers and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And if you're a guest with us today, man, I can't tell you how much it means to us to have you here. It's a real honor and we're so grateful. We are, honestly, we're so grateful that you're here. So we're hearing uh, about the story of Jesus of Nazareth and it's coming to us from a guy named Simon Peter who is the, the most famous of Jesus' disciples. And he is telling this story to a guy named John Mark. John Mark, who we just call Mark for short, uh, wasn't there. He, he wasn't an eyewitness to all of the happenings of his own gospel. He's hearing this um, most likely from Peter. And uh, Peter is telling him the stories that he heard over the three and a half years or so that he was following with Jesus. And he's been telling these stories for 30 something years now. Now, Peter is most likely being held in Rome at this time. This is around 64 AD, 65 AD, some would say. Uh, the, the Caesar is Nero, and as many of you may know about Nero, he was no friend of Christians. He persecuted them and had many of them killed in horrific ways, particularly after the great fire um, that happened in Rome. He used them as a way of sort of uh, distancing himself from what had actually happened. So Peter, his most famous disciple, is being held maybe in a cell, maybe in a house uh, situation like Paul was. Paul was also in Rome awaiting trial from Nero um, as well. They're both there in the, in, in, around the same time. They're both not going to make it out of Rome. They're both going to lose their lives there. And so Peter and Mark have gotten together and, and somehow Mark has heard these stories a lot of times. He's probably written them down along the way. He's probably uh, interviewed some eyewitnesses, but he's like, Peter, one more time, one more time, Tell me the stories, and, and I want to write them down so that, so that they don't get lost. And so the story that should have probably never gotten out of Rome does. Mark goes down to Alexandria in Egypt. There's a, there's a famous library there. There's a lot of scholars there, and this thing gets copied. It gets distributed, and then literally hundreds of years later, it gets included in the Bible. But the thing about it is, is Mark, when he's writing these stories down, he doesn't know that he's writing the Bible. He has no idea. He's just writing down the words of his friend, his mentor, the guy he'd been following around for many years. He's just writing them down as they came to him, and he has no idea. Now, this is important because sometimes people get hung up um, because this is a series really for folks 
who would say, I'm not sure, Danny, about the Bible. I'm not sure about God. Uh, maybe it's some people who uh, have, have kind of walked away from their childhood faith. Maybe it's even people who last year, we know that there's a lot of data that says that a lot of people, because of, of, of all of the things that happened in 2020, just kind of lost their way. They kind of lost heart. They kind of lost faith. So maybe you're kind of coming back thinking, I, I don't know, maybe this is, a, this is a series where we're going right through the gospel of Mark and we're studying the stories of Jesus and how transformative, how transformative what he said and what he did is. And so here we are. We, we, we're not reading so much the Bible, although it's in the Bible and it's part of the Bible. It's definitely inerrant. It's, it's, the, it's inspired. But these are also just the words of Peter to his friend Mark. And I want you to read it like that with me. If you're like, I don't know about the Bible, I want you to read it like that with me today. Um, so here's, the, here's how Peter begins. And we heard this last week. If you were here, if you weren't here, Pastor Andy just did an amazing job. I, I p- Please go, go listen to it. Mark's writing it down. It's like he doesn't want us to miss the big picture. And so he says, the beginning of the good news, this is verse one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Now, Mark is writing what Peter is telling him to write. So Peter is saying, hey, listen, it's been 30 years or more. And I still believe that that teacher, that rabbi, I believe with all my heart, I'm convinced beyond any doubt that he was the Messiah. He was the son of God. And, 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 and what we said last week is if Christianity isn't good news to you, perhaps you never heard Peter's version because it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And, and so um, then, then after some preamble in, in the first part of chapter one, he says this. So Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And so everywhere he went, Jesus had this theme that he was saying over and over and over again. And, and John the Baptist had been saying it in advance as well. And, and the theme was simply this. Mark would say in verse 15, the time has come, he said. Come on, would you say this with me? The time has come. He said, the, the, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The waiting's over. The, 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 for generations, the people of Israel have been waiting, waiting, waiting for this thing. They don't see it when it happens. They don't see it. They've been waiting. Something's been missing. And what's been missing is now here. And everything that came before in the pagan world, in the Jewish world, all of it was leading up, pointing up to this, this moment of what God was doing by bringing the kingdom up there, down here, the rule and the reign of God up there, down here. And this is the moment. Matter of fact, Paul would go on and say in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son and this is that moment. Kingdom of God is near. And Jesus would say that the appropriate response to the fact that the time has come, that God is doing something brand new, the appropriate response is to repent, is to turn, to change your mind, and believe this good news. Now, the first century response to this was incredible. As a matter of fact, if you go read through the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that in, I think, all but two chapters, the word crowd is used because so popular, so powerful is the teaching and the demonstration of the power of Jesus that people are coming in droves to see it. And here's what he says in in, in verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, meaning the teachers of the law, yeah, they don't have authority, right? This guy... He's got authority and and news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now I want to show you a map real quick here. 
I'm not a real map guy, but I want to just show you. So I don't know if you can see this, but this yellow part right here, this is Galilee. So this is the, the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias. This is the Jordan River. You read about it a lot in the text. Down here at the bottom is the Dead Sea. So all of this is here. This region is where Jesus and all of his, you know, many of his disciples are from. Um, there's Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the town that he's from. Um, there's Capernaum, Bethsaida. All of these are happening right here. This isn't a big area. Here's Jerusalem all the way down here. So you can see Samaria, Judea, Galilee. So this is an area right here where almost all of the stories of Mark's gospel, and really a lot of the stories of the gospel, all of them are happening in this region. So when you, when you hear the words, and the news spread about quickly, that's because all these towns were small. Everybody knew everybody. So this was the perfect place for him to launch what he was doing, because this is his place that he's coming from. And so we're all caught up now. Now I want to go rolling into where we're going to teach now. Here's the thing about the Bible. When you read the Bible without understanding the big picture, the big themes, the mega themes, they will call it. If you read a few stories about what Jesus did, and you're like, I like that story, the Samaritan, that's a good one. You know, the son coming back to the father, that's a good one. I don't know about this one. I don't really understand that one. So I'm going to leave that one out. And, and so this is what happens a lot in Christianity today. People just kind of pick and choose the parts that they like, the parts they don't like. Eh, I don't know about that. Throw that out. Or I'm just going to ignore that that's not in it. But you can't really do that, by the way, just FYI. It's the word of God, period, plain and simple. And we kind of have to take it all. And we may not understand it all, but we have to take it all and go, hey, I got to adjust my life, not the other way around. I'm not going to adjust the text to suit my life. I'm going to adjust my life to suit the text, just FYI. Just FYI, you're like, I, I knew I didn't like this church, you know, anyways. But you read the stories and go, oh, God, that's a cool story. That's really neat. Um, but the stories that were included by the Holy Spirit, he inspired these words. They're part of a much larger picture, the, the mega themes that Jesus has come to introduce. And in this particular instance, the mega theme is Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom is here. This is the theme. He's coming to change the worldview. There, there had been all of these worldviews up until now. The Roman worldview, this is under occupied Rome, R Roman Empire. The, the Greeks before that, the, 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 the Jewish nation had its own worldview. The pagans had their own worldview. And Jesus is going, hey, I'm coming to disrupt the status quo, to change the entire worldview from what it had been into what I'm introducing right here. And so, so very quickly, he's come to dis, be disruptive, honestly. He, he's disruptive in so many things that he says, so many things that he does that ultimately we know gets him killed. And of course, it's the design of God all the way through. He's, he's, he's going to be a sacrificial lamb. But the reason that they are ready to take him out is because of his disruptions and the way he's teaching this new worldview. And so right out of the gate, Mark gives us these three accounts, these three narratives, which if you just kind of read the story, you're like, oh, that's a neat little story. No, no, no. It's not a neat little story. It's a massive shift in the way things had been. And I want to summarize them real quickly. Number one, Jesus would ignore certain religious protocols. We're going to look at a story that says that. He claims to have the power to forgive sin. Nobody's ever said this before except God, right? And then thirdly, we're going to, we're going to look at a story. Thirdly, Jesus was uncomfortably, he was comfortable, but other people were uncomfortable. Uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners, meaning he would hang around people that religious people are like, you shouldn't hang around with them. That's not our kind of people. And he was comfortable doing that. So let's start with the first one. So here, here's what Mark 1 verse 39 says. So he traveled throughout Galilee. And you saw, it's that yellow part we saw. Preaching in their synagogues. These, it's not the temple. The temple's in Jerusalem. These are like smaller uh, places that they gather. And driving out demons. 
That's not an accident. He's wanting to, they're wanting to see he's got authority. A man with leprosy came to him. Okay, now this is where there's a shift. Now, this may or may not have been leprosy. The actual word is, is skin disease. Could have been a bad rash that wouldn't go away. Could have been psoriasis. Could have been a- a- eczema. But any kind of skin disease would have scared these people to death because of the looming presence of leprosy and its common commonplace in their lives and how dis- destructive it was, how very, very um, contagious it was. And we all kind of know what that's going on like right now. And, and they would have put him in this category of leprosy, whether he had it or not. And this means that it alters his life for good, right? He's going to have to leave his family. He's going to have to leave his home. He's going to have to leave his community. He's going to have to go live in a, in a terrible commune type situation with other folks with the same kind of diseases. And, and so these people with skin diseases in particular were sort of just left out of life. I want you to think about this. The skin diseases never, rarely ever killed them, but they couldn't live either. They couldn't live their lives. So they're stuck between death and life at all times. They're constantly stuck between death and life. They're shunned. They can't hug people. You guys know what I'm talking about? You can't high five people. It's like, hey. Now I see some of y'all been rolling up in there and be like, I don't care anymore, man. I'm gonna give you a bro hug whether you like it or not. Um, and, and, and I like it, by the way. Anyways, um, they, can't have, they can't have friends. They can't have coworkers. They, they can't touch anybody. They... They are shunned and they're stuck in between this, this life and death situation. So this leper comes to Jesus and he's breaking the law by coming to Jesus because he's not allowed to approach Jesus. He has to stay and cry, leper, leper, unclean, unclean. And so he drops to his knees and he begs him and he says, and I think this is so important, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I, I think when you read this, I think you're actually seeing a kind of perfect faith. Let me explain this. Um, A perfect kind of faith looks like this. Confident that Jesus can, hoping that Jesus will. Does that make sense? So throughout my life, I've had these moments with faith exactly like this, even recently. And I would sort of beat myself up going, Danny, bro, you just got to be confident that Jesus can, that Jesus will. And it's easy for me to feel that way about you. Like if you say, Danny, would you pray for me? I need healing or I need help. I need hope. It's no problem for me to believe that God can and God will. But sometimes when it's me and I'm laying awake at night, I believe 100% that God can, but I'm wondering if God will. And we see this kind of faith throughout the Gospels. A man comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you can, would you heal my son? And he, what is, he goes, what do you mean if I can? <laughs> and so the guy says, um, Lord, help, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus, I think this is the kind of faith that is perfectly aligned with the heart of Jesus. He responds to this kind of faith. And so he says, if, you, if you're willing, I think you can make me clean. And now this, is, this word clean is not the same. You can heal me. This is bigger than that. This is Because if you get healed of a skin disease, you still have to go through this entire ritual. You still have to get a priest to sort of sign off on it to say that you can go back and be part of the game again. And what he's saying is, Jesus, I believe if you're willing that you can not only heal me, but you can restore, you can give me my life back. Now, whole, I can be whole. That's clean. It, I can be whole. And so Jesus says, uh, P- Peter says, he reached out his hand 
and touch the man. And if you're Peter in this moment, you're thinking, he's not going to touch him, right? Like, Mark, dude, when this happened, bro, you can't believe. We were like, please, please, no. Because they've already seen him cast out demons with a word. Later on, they'll see him raise up Lazarus from the dead. Hey, Lazarus, come out. And he does. Like, he, like he, he's at a whole never level where he can just say stuff and things change. Like, don't touch him. Because if you touch him, then we're going to all have to go down to Jerusalem and get you cleaned up, Jesus. And if you touch him, it's going to mess the whole deal up. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to touch him anyway. I'm going to touch him anyway. Now, you read this in isolation. It's just a little vignette, a little story. That's neat, but it's not neat. It's a massive shift. Where instead of just speaking a word over him, Jesus reaches out and touches him. And Jesus kind of overrides some political correctness, some cultural expectations about what you should do with a leprous person because you shouldn't touch him. And the law wasn't so you shouldn't touch him because you'll be a bad person. It's that you might spread the disease. That's the heart of the law. The letter of the law was different. The way they transcribed the law was different, but the heart of the law was just, hey, let's don't spread disease. But it's the son of God. He doesn't get diseased. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? So I'll go ahead and touch him if I need to. Because this guy needs to know that, that, that not only do I love him enough to heal him, I love him enough to touch him. Because I'm shifting things. I'm changing the world. And I'm not going to let political correctness and, and rituals and, 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 and po- whatever, politics, I'm not going to let it hinder me from giving this guy exactly what he needs. And this is, this is good news. And unfortunately... A couple of centuries later, the church would come along and put these barriers that Jesus was taking down. These three stories are about, not just about Jesus' stories, they're, they're stories of, God, of him lowering barriers that had been set up to, get, to keep people from, far away from God. Like, like that's what, not what they were designed, but that was the net result because of the way the religious people had interpreted them. So he's coming to take some of those barriers down. And this may be the very reason some of you walked away from faith at times is because you didn't understand what, what, all, what is all of the stuff about? Why do we got to do you know, this and that and that? And, and, and you maybe go, I don't understand it and I never will. So I'm just going to walk away. And, and Jesus is saying, I came to lower the barrier between people and God. I came to be the bridge myself between people and God. And Jesus says, I'm willing to be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. What? This is brand new. Jesus touched a leper. But it's not just a story. It's Jesus saying, I will go to any length to reach people who are far from me. Because as it turns out, they're not very far at all. You're not far at all. Mark 1, Jesus says, hey, listen, I want you to, I want you to go show yourself to the priest anyway because that's what people are going to expect that you do, but don't tell anybody what happened here. And so here's what the guy does. The leper guy goes out and he says, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Start spreading the news. Come on. Um, le- Anyways, um, as a result of him spreading the news, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly because of the crowds that would press him. So he stays out in lonely places And yet, in spite of his effort to sort of stay away from giant crowds, the people still came to him from everywhere. This is where the second story starts. The second massive shift. So it's just Jesus and his guys at this point. There's only four of them. 
There's Jesus and then the four, the, the four, there's two brothers, two sets of brothers, James and John and Peter and Andrew. And so they're like, hey, we got, we got our crew. We don't need anybody else. We're rolling up into Capernaum. They're going into Capernaum. Capernaum was the largest city in the area. And so maybe they got to go to Costco. I don't know. Maybe they got to get supplies. Maybe they just want some fresh city air. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like we used to live in a little town, 5,000 people in Columbia, Mississippi. And we were from here. And so when we went there, it was like, it was shocking to our, like our systems. It's like we would literally just drive down. Remember the first time we just drove to New Orleans so we could smell diesel fuel and gasoline and smog and, and, and decay. Come on, if you've ever been to downtown New Orleans, it's awesome, but it stinks a little bit. Come on. And we just wanted to honk at people and have them honk back at us. And they didn't know us. You know what I'm saying? Because in Columbia, if you honk, they probably went to the church and be like, you honked at me. It's like, I crave to be honked at, you know, because I'm from a city. Anybody, anybody? I'm one of those guys. I'll use my horn. I'm not afraid to use the horn. It's for Jesus, of course. I'm proclaiming the good news. The trumpet will sound one day. We'll all be caught away. I'm just helping us get used to that sound coming. I'm getting you ready for the coming of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So a few days later, they entered. I didn't need to tell you any of that, but I just felt like it was important. When Jesus again entered at Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such a large number that there was no room left. They were in a big house. Not even outside the door. There's, there was no place to even sort of peer through the door. And he preached the word to them. What's he saying to them? The time has come. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the good news. Come on, this is what he's saying. Everywhere he goes, he's saying this. And so he, 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 some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, if you grew up around church or any kind of church, you've heard this story. And so Jesus, these, these guys have brought their, their, their friend, hopefully to get healed, if nothing else, to hear about Jesus, this guy who's becoming famous. Everybody wants to know him. Everyone wants to be around him. Maybe they tried listening to the walls and it was the good kind of walls. Not, like you ever go to a nice hotel, you can't hear anything between the walls. You go to a bad hotel, you can hear everything. So this is a good hotel or whatever. And, and, and so Peter's like, Mark, when, when this happened, have David told you this story? I'm just gonna imagine, Will, if you can let me. Uh, Mark, you know what they did? No, what did they do? we're sitting there listening to Jesus with all these people. All of a sudden, some stuff starts falling from the roof. The dust starts falling down. There's a little blast of light. Next thing you know, there's a hand. They're creating a hole. They're making a hole. And then this dude gets dropped down from the roof into the middle of the crowd. And we're freaking out, man. So here's what he says. This is the, this is, I gave you the Danny version. Here's the real version. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And they lowered the mat the man was on, was lying on. Now, by the way, the man's on it. It's not just the mat, right? Like, hey, there's a mat. You know, the dude's on it. Um, I'd love to have gotten more details because I'm sure it was crazy, but Peter doesn't give us a lot of details because he's, he's, he's focused on the larger picture, which is that in this story, Jesus is going to claim that he can forgive sins. What? This hasn't happened before. In, in other words... Jesus is going to start this thing where you don't have to go to the priest anymore or to the temple to have your sins forgiven. You're going to be able to come straight to me. And on the other side of the cross, you're just going to have to, you can just pray and I'm going to do for you what you can't imagine. And he's removing another obstacle that's been set up, which means you got to go down to the temple. You got to sacrifice some animals to get your sins removed, only just removed, rolled back for a year. I'm changing all that. And in this story, this is where that happens. You see what I'm saying? It's a big deal. So they dig through the roof. It's a big hole. They let the guy down. Everybody's freaking out. And so Peter goes on and says, when Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, 
It says that, I promise. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, here's the question. How, how do you see faith? Well, the same way he saw the faith of the, of the leper. They were confident that Jesus could heal their friend. And they were hoping that he was, that he would. Confident that he could, hoping that he would, right? And that's the difference between faith and, say, hope. Hope is awesome. It's a great thing, but it's not the same thing as faith. Christian faith is confident that God can, hoping that God will. They're so confident, however, in Jesus that they're willing to jack up a dude's house to get him through the roof, to get him to Jesus. Now, what will Jesus do? And it seems like we're gonna hear another healing story. We're only in chapter two, but in chapter one, we see that Jesus healed many people, including Peter's mother-in-law. And maybe Peter was like, well, why'd you have to heal her? We could just wait and see what happens. He didn't say that. I don't think he said it. He may have thought it, though. It's possible. Sorry, mothers-in-law, right? This isn't just a healing story, though, see? Um, This is another monumental shift that's about to take place because here's what Peter says happened. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Do what now? Right? Nobody has any context for this. See, we have the benefit of hindsight. So we're reading, of course, he could do it, you know, because we, we know the cross and we know what's going to happen. We've seen all this. We know the story. They don't know the story. You can't say a man's sins are forgiven. Men can't say men's sins are forgiven. Only God can. Because to have your sins forgiven, you got to go down to Jerusalem. You got to do the feast. You got to do the sacrifices. You got to do all the stuff. The priest has to be involved. And now you're saying, just with your words, the man's sins are forgiven? Nobody has a context for this. And so you're thinking, you think you can just walk up in here. I mean, we've seen you do some crazy stuff, and you can just replace hundreds of years of traditions and, and law. There's a way that sins are forgiven, and this isn't it. You think you can just, with a word, replace everything that Moses put into place about how people have peace and righteousness with God or right standing with God? We, we know this is what some of them thinking were thinking because Peter says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking They didn't say anything. They were thinking to themselves. Why why does this fellow, come on, I haven't called anybody a fellow in a while. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive the sins but God alone? They have no context. Peter, Peter and them have to be going, bro, what's he doing? Who have we signed up with? He can't do that. And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Now, if I'm Peter, I'd be like, hey, Mark, this is the part where I was already like, he cast out some demons. He healed somebody. My mother-in-law wasn't positive about it, but he did it. But now brother can read somebody's mind. So now I'm going to have to watch everything. Not only I say, but I think from now on. So we were all a little nervous, right? How other level. The next part is such a big deal because Jesus is questioning them. And he says, which is easier? Is it to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and, and walk? Little, little background here. He's challenging their belief system. He wants them to answer which one is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven, which would be the easy thing to say, right? That's the easier thing to say because nobody can prove or disprove whether his sins were forgiven or not, right? There's not like a meter on his thing. It's like, hey, it's empty now. His sins were forgiven. His tank was full of sin. Now it's empty. There's nothing. 
But if I say, take up your mat and walk, that's going to involve a bunch of people being able to test me to see if I'm legit or not. So does, that, does this make sense? This is what Jesus is asking them. Now, in Jesus' time, and really way before his time, in that culture and in pagan cultures and all kinds of cultures, there was this assumption about the correlation between sickness and sin or behavior, human behavior. So, so they would think like if, if you were born blind or you were born paralyzed, they would ask a question. Sometimes you would see this in the gospel. Did you sin or was it your parents that sinned? So there's a correlation. The reason you're sick, the reason you were born blind, there was par- you're paralyzed or whatever, is because somebody sinned. There's a correlation. And Jesus rejects that view in, in several places in the gospel. He doesn't think people are sick because somebody sinned. He, he, holds, he holds to the Genesis view, which was that on the heels of the sin of Adam and Eve, the original sin, sickness and death entered the human experience. Their sin ruined the perfection that they were created with, and it opens the door to sickness and death to enter the world. So there is a relationship, but it's not a one-to-one relationship. See, so meaning if I, have, if I get sick or I have a disease, it's not a direct response or a direct punishment from God for my failure. It's just part of the human condition. After the fall, sometimes bad people have good things happen to them. Sometimes good people have bad things to happen to them. They get sick. We don't know why. It's just part of the human condition. So Jesus goes on and responds to the thought, but I, but I want you to know, I'm gonna, in other words, I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man, this is a messian, messianic uh, 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 title, by the way, which they would have been equally offended by, ha- has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, how's he going to do this? How's he going to prove that he has the authority? So, so I'm going to prove that I have the power to forgive sins. There's only one way to prove this. By physically reversing the consequences of sin. This is what they think. He's, he's a sinner. By physically reducing, reversing the consequences of sin, by putting sin back in the box, because no one can tell whether your sins are forgiven or not, but they can certainly tell that you were paralyzed, and then in one word, you're not paralyzed, and you walk out. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And it's not just the healing they're talking about. It's the proof that he has the power to forgive sins. What? He not only said it, he proved it. Massive shift, y'all. Massive shift. Now we'll go back to the story in a minute, but I want to ask you a question. Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder if God can or would forgive you? Like, like you could say, yeah, Jesus died for all the sins of mankind, but that's sort of a categorical forgiveness, right? Like it just, it's all encompassing. But have you ever wondered if God really could and would forgive you? Could God look at you as you pray to him, maybe in your own way that you're not sure even how to do it and not look at you through the filter of what you've done or what you haven't done that you should have done or what you promised him you'd never do again, but you did again and again. You ever wonder, can God forgive me of that? I think this is really an important thing is it possible that God could actually forgive and remove your sins so that it's no longer part of the equation 
that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin? Is it possible that you could actually have peace with God? Peter, who knew Jesus very, very well, would say, yes. Well, how are you so sure, Peter? Well, because I traveled around with him many, many times, and I saw stuff like this. And let me tell you, not only did I see stuff like this where he forgave the sins of others, but listen, there was a time when I sinned against him in the worst possible way. Personally, I did. I cursed him. I denied him, not once, but three times. And I was so ashamed of myself. I felt so degraded that I just ran away from all of it and went back to my fishing. And Jesus came along And he forgave me personally and made me right with God. And Jesus is saying here, the time has come for you personally to know a personal God. Not not one who just sort of categorically forgives sin, but one that will forgive your sins for you. A personal God, not just this obscure deity somewhere out there, but one who comes and knows your name. And knows who you are. And knows what your stuff is. The time has come where you're going to be able to know God personally. Repent. That is, turn in my direction and accept what I say about you. Accept what I say about your sin. Repent and believe this good news. For some of you, the best news you could possibly get is that Jesus, because of his love for you, because of the love of the Father for you, has forgiven you and has erased your sin and when he sees you listen when he sees you he doesn't see you through the lens of your sin he sees you through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ snow white as a matter of fact Paul would write in Galatians 4 that God was reconciling 5 I'm sorry that God was did I say Galatians 2 Corinthians 5 sorry y'all I didn't get much sleep that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. Like, I don't know if you understand how good that news is right there. This is what Jesus is starting. Paul is just responding to what happened right here in part. And listen, you, you may struggle for the rest of your life trying to forgive yourselves. That's a whole different thing. But, but can I just suggest that the first step to forgiving yourself is to recognize and accept the fact that your heavenly father no longer holds your sins against you. So that maybe at some point you realize, you know what, if the God who created me doesn't hold my sins against me, then who am I to hold my sins against me? I'm forgiven and I am made clean, just like the leper, just like this paralyzed man. I am not just clean. I'm not just forgiven. I'm not just healed. I am made whole because of Jesus. And Jesus starts this this whole thing right here in this story. So, So I wish I had time to do all this right, but clearly I don't, and clearly you're wishing I would hurry up faster than I am, but I gotta do this last thing. The third thing is, is Jesus was uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. So they're in Capernaum, still there. This is Mark chapter two. They're in Capernaum. There's, this is the larger town around Galilee, but it's not a big town at all. 
actually. And it's uh, surrounded by smaller towns, so everybody knows everybody. Most people are in the fishing community. Uh, Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. If you grew up in a small town, you know this is true, right? These are Peter and Andrew's people. These are James and John's people. These are the people they knew, they grew up with. And so Peter tells Mark, and we're out one day walking along the, the lake, and Jesus is teaching all these people. But as we, then as we were walking along the road, he saw Levi. Look at this. Son of Alphaeus. Sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now this is, this is crazy because Mark doesn't, Mark, Mark doesn't know these people. How does he know? Because by the way, Levi is like John. It's like a, everybody's name is Levi here, right? So you can't just say Levi because nobody, when, when, when this thing comes out of, of, of Nero's Rome and it makes its way back to Galilee, oh yeah, it's that Levi. I remember that dude, son of Alphaeus. Man, Alphaeus was such a good dude. How did his son turn out to be the worst tax collector? Like if you work in the IRS, man, we, we love you. We're, we're praying for you. But in this day, man, this is the worst possible thing. How does Mark know it's the son of Alphaeus? He knows because Peter told him. This is Peter's, Peter knows these people. He knows Levi, who we call Matthew, right? He probably had run-ins with Matthew. Dude, you you gotta stop ripping me off. He probably wrote bad Yelp reviews about Matthew. Some of you are like, what? What does that even mean? Google it. But Levi's a tax collector and, 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 we, we, we get the son of Alphaeus so that people would know, I was there. I saw this. You know Alphaeus. You know I know Alphaeus. Levi's a tax collector, and if you know the story at all, being a tax collector is the worst. For, for these guys, this is the worst possible kind of guy. He works for the governor, Herod Antipas, um, <clears throat> to rip off his own people. And Herod Antipas is wildly unpopular because he beheaded John the Baptist, who was this kind of folklorish person, this incredible figure, people very, very popular, and, and he killed him. So they hate the governor, and they hate anyone working with the governor. So, so Jesus says to this guy, Levi, follow me. And Peter was like, Mark, when this happened, Bro, we were like, what is going on? Like the first two stories were already insane enough, but we were like, dude, like we got our crew already, Jesus. We don't need anybody else. We're doing good stuff. And, and, and if you're gonna add to the crew, and of course he does, but listen, we only find out really about these five guys. The other seven f- disciples of Jesus, we don't really find how they, 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 they showed up and became part of the crew. But, but he included this because this is a massive thing. Levi is the worst of the worst. And Peter's like, Jesus, li- listen, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I, like, I don't know what you're doing, but not him. Like, you're going to ruin our credibility. People are going to be hating on us because you bring him in. And what Jesus is saying right here is, I'm going to invite Levi in because with me, everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, anything is possible, even that a guy like Levi would, would pick it up and follow him. The kingdom of God has come near and everybody, this is what Jesus is saying here. And you, if you just read the story, you don't catch this. This is what Jesus is saying. Everybody is invited. I don't care how bad your backstory. 
I don't care what you've done in the past. Jesus is saying, with me, everybody's welcome. And Peter, I know you and the other fellows think you're better than Levi. You're not. Nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, but with me, anything is possible. Even a guy as seemingly far away from me as Levi is, is actually not that far away at all. Not really. Jesus is just removing barrier after barrier from people to their God. Because see, Levi thinks he's counted out. The moment he chose tax collector, you're done for, bro. You're not part of the kingdom. You're not part of the family. You're the enemy. You've joined the enemy. And probably Levi thought in his own mind, no way I ever come back. And here comes this man who doesn't judge him for his past, but points him to a brighter future. It's okay, Levi, to not be okay. It's okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because with Jesus, anything is possible. See, here's the thing. It's not just people like Levi, but it's also people like me. Danny, the missionary kid. See, I grew up in Kenya. My parents were missionaries to Kenya. In 1977, in Kenya, what you had to do as a kid was just try to avoid being eaten by something. Seriously. Like lions and leopards and elephants and whatever, we saw it all. Snakes, there they were. So we didn't have TVs and we didn't have anything else. So you know what we did have? We had nature and we had the scriptures. So I had to memorize a lot of scriptures growing up as a kid. And by the time I got to this point in my life, I got a lot more to learn. I promise you, I got a lot more to learn. But I know a lot of the Bible. So I have no excuse to ever sin. And yet, I do. Sometimes I get it wrong. I know, I know what the right thing is, and yet sometimes I do the wrong thing. Is that, is that okay that I'm, I'm telling you that? You're like, well, what? I, you're, you're a pastor, man. You're supposed to be right all the time. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. <laughs> I got no excuse. And yet, sometimes I get it wrong, and Jesus is like, Danny, it's not just Levi. It's not just the worst of the worst. Man, it's you that needs to know, no matter what, you're invited in the family of God. And that is some serious good news. So, Father, thank you. Thank you um, for, for these stories. Yeah, they're in the Bible. Yeah, they're, they're, in, they're inspired by the Spirit of God. But when they were written, they were just the words of Peter to his friend Mark. We can read them and we can trust them because they're real. <clears throat> they were eyewitnesses. Peter walked with you, but he also saw you suffer. 
He also saw people hurl insults at you. He also saw you die on a cross, and he had no idea what you were doing in spite of the fact that you told him what was going to happen. He still didn't get it. But now with the benefit of 30 years of hindsight, he knows that you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And you came to seek and save those who were lost, those who were hurting, those who were broken, those who, did, who others said were forgotten and worthless and useless, you came for them. And with these stories, we see your heart for people. And while some of us have allowed a religion to get into our hearts and mess us up and, and push us away and we've seen religious protocols and we've seen barriers put up and we've seen all this stuff happen, you want to remind us that you came to make a way, to make a way from where we are to where God wants us to be. You did that. So we can trust you and even if we don't know you, and even if we think we're far away, we can actually find out <clears throat> that we're not very far at all. Matter of fact, Paul said in Acts 17 that this unknown God that they were worshiping was the great God of heaven and, and that he wasn't far from any one of them, it says. And that's true, that if we just reach out even a little bit, even however imperfect we might do that, you hear us and you respond. So Lord, we come to you with our hurts and our habits and our hangups and our mistakes. Some of us have walked away, but you never stop calling our name. Some of us have gotten burned out on religion and you said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We're just invited in. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. But with you, anything's possible. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, can we give Jesus a big old hand, would you? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.